0: The International Women of Courage Award given by the U.S. Secretary of State recognizes extraordinary women from around the world who have demonstrated exceptional courage, strength, and leadership in advocating for peace, justice, human rights, gender equity, and the empowerment of women and girls in all their diversity, often at great personal risk and sacrifice. Since the inception of the International Women of Courage Award in March 2007, The U.S. Department of State has recognized more than 170 women from over 80 countries. On March 14, 2023, the Cleveland Council on World Affairs welcomed three of the 2023 honorees to share their stories and help us mark International Women's Day by recognizing the incredible work that they are leading in their respective countries. Please note that this event was held in English and French with English interpretation. Please enjoy the forum. Good evening, everyone. Can
1: everyone hear me? Excellent. Um, Well, warm welcome to all of you. And to frame the conversation that I would love to have with our distinguished guests, um, I just wanted to share that This evening's event is CCWA's way of marking International Women's Day, which was celebrated last week. Uh, And happy belated International Women's Day to so many of you in the room. Thank you for being here. Uh, And as we all know, International Women's Day is about celebrating the achievements of women and also reminding all of us that we need to continue to push for gender equality. And so as I was reflecting on this evening and thinking about women's achievements, I'd like to share that I think one of women's greatest contributions, and I saw this every day when I was at the United Nations, is towards peace. And all around the world, you see women standing up for human rights, you see women pushing back against violence and terrorism, and you see women leading reconciliation and justice efforts in the aftermath of conflict. And it is precisely because women are such skilled and dedicated peace builders that the United Nations has made gender equality a cornerstone of everything that it does from the maintenance of international peace and security to human rights and development. And our country, the United States, also very much recognizes this connection between women and peace, women and human rights, and women and development. And this is why the International, Courage, the International Women of Courage Award was established by the State Department in 2007. And it is to help us honor and celebrate the women from all around the world who have demonstrated exceptional leadership to protect human rights, to advance gender equality, and to fight for justice. Tonight, we honor two of the 2023 recipients of this International Women of Courage Award, Professor Danielle Darlan from the Central African Republic and Senator Datuk Ras Adiba Radzi from Malaysia. A third honoree, Brigadier General Belor Gonbold from Mongolia was unable to join us this evening. So you have our speaker's full bios um, in your programs. I encourage you to read them. But let me briefly introduce them by saying that Professor Darlan is the former president of the Central African Republic's Constitutional Court. She was removed from office by the government for defending the Constitution of her country. She has had a distinguished career as a lawyer, educator, judge, and advocate for institution building and women's rights. As the Central African Republic's most prominent female government official and the first woman to head the Constitutional Court, Professor Darlan's tenacity has earned her the nickname Woman of Iron and a top spot on Jeune Afrique's list of the 30 Building Tomorrow's Africa. Senator Datuk, please, please do feel free. This evening is certainly about a celebration, so anytime you feel you want to break into applause, I encourage you to do so. Uh, and Senator Datuk Raza Barazzi has spent most of her career advancing the cause of human rights in her country. She was first known as a famous broadcast journalist, television presenter, and sports commentator. Following a car accident and then a brutal assault, she became paralyzed and has committed her life to fight for the rights of persons with disability in Malaysia. In May 2020, the King of Malaysia appointed her senator to represent persons with disabilities. In November 2020, Senator Raza Diba was appointed the first female chair of the Malaysian National News Agency. And because of her prominence, she has been able to raise the conversation about the rights of persons with disabilities throughout Malaysia. Um, and again, before I start the panel, a quick reminder of what Ambassador Hodges said. Um, Senator Razadiba speaks perfect English, but Professor Darnon feels more comfortable in French. So we have an amazing team of interpreters from the State Department with us this evening. So I just ask all of you for your patience as we let them do their job. So to start off the evening, Professor Darlan, I am wondering if you could share with all of us uh, your story of how you decided to become a lawyer and to want to uh, work at the constitutional court of your country
2: Je vous remercie Je voudrais d'abord tout euh, dire euh, je suis que je suis très heureuse aujourd'hui de rencontre de vous rencontrer to come to your meeting. And I would like to say that I'm a little intimidated. I have the impression that i pourtant d'habitude c'est pass an exam. fais passer it's me who i que tout ira bien But I think that everything will I
3: am... So first of all, I just want to say thank you. I'm so pleased to be here, so pleased to meet you. I feel a little bit intimidated. I feel like I'm taking a test, even though I'm the usually one administering tests. <laughs>
2: Je... Comment est-ce que je suis venue à l'enseignement En fait, tout à fait par hasard. Je n'avais pas l'intention au départ de faire du droit. Mais c'est un petit peu par hasard que je me suis engagée dans les études de droit. Et après, je me suis passionnée pour l'enseignement. Pourquoi pour l'enseignement Parce que euh, nous étions en contact, nous sommes en contact avec les étudiants, avec les futurs dirigeants du pays. Et comme vous le savez, dans nos pays, on essaye de... on est En voie de développement, il y a beaucoup de problèmes à régler. Donc, je pensais que je pouvais apporter euh, quelque chose en formant la jeunesse pour qu'elle puisse, par la suite, prendre les rênes du pays et de façon tout à fait correcte en respectant certaines valeurs. Donc, c'est pour cela que je me suis en fait passionnée euh, pour mon travail d'enseignante.
3: So how did I come into te- come to teaching? It was actually a little bit by accident. I didn't initially intend to do any legal studies, but I kind of fell into it. And then I found a passion for teaching as well. And that's because it gave me this opportunity to be in dialogue with students who would one day become the future leaders of our country. As you know, our country is a developing country. We have numerous problems and I thought that teaching was the way I could contribute to um, teach our, teach students to ultimately take the reins in the proper way by transmitting certain values to them and that is why I feel so passionate about that teaching work.
2: Ensuite, comment est-ce que je suis venue à la cour constitutionnelle? Uh, Nous venions de subir un coup d'état au niveau du pays et Il a été instauré une transition de trois ans. Et lors de cette transition de trois ans, on a institué une cour constitutionnelle que l'on a appelé la Cour constitutionnelle de transition. Et donc j'ai postulé, j'ai été élu pour être juge constitutionnel au niveau de cette cour.
3: So how did I get to the constitutional court? So we had been through some coups d'etats, and as a result of that, we started a transition period that was supposed to last three years. And as part of that transition, a so-called transitional tra- constitutional court was set up, and I applied to be a judge as part of that transition court.
2: Nous avons essayé d'encadrer, au niveau de la Cour constitutionnelle, d'encadrer la transition de façon à ce que les dirigeants de la transition ne s'incrustent pas et que la transition passe and that we will to the constitutional order. So after three years, we will return to the constitutional And after I postulated for the real constitutional with a mandate of seven years.
3: So our aim with the transitional court was to make sure – was to, to provide a framework for the transition, to make sure that the transitional leaders do not become embedded in power and to make sure that we got out of that transition, which we did. After three years, we got back to constitutional order, and at that point, I applied to become a judge on the real constitutional court for a term of seven years.
2: Pour terminer, là, je pense que, um, je vais vous dire tout simplement qu'au niveau de la Cour constitutionnelle, je pense que le plus important que nous ayons essayé de faire, c'est de faire en sorte que tout le monde respecte la Constitution. Alors, nous avons plus ou moins réussi, mais euh, au bout du compte, le président de la République ne l'a pas respecté, puisque, à un moment donné, il a voulu changer la Constitution, faire une nouvelle Constitution pour instaurer un troisième mandat, et rester au pouvoir. Et c'est là que nous avons été en désaccord et qu'il m'a relevé de mes fonctions de façon tout à fait illégitime et tout à fait brutale et tout à fait injuste aussi. Mais c'est aussi grâce à ça que je suis devant vous aujourd'hui.
3: So quite simply, I think that at the Constitutional Court, the most important thing that we have tried to do was to make sure that everyone would respect the Constitution. And I think that we have more or less succeeded in that, although ultimately, the president of the country did not respect the Constitution because he wanted to modify it to ultimately have a third term. Um, and And that was when he removed me from my position illegally, brutally, and unjustly. But in a way, that's also why I'm here before you now.
2: Je pense que je peux m'arrêter là pour l'instant, et en tout cas, merci. Je suis très heureuse d'être devant vous aujourd'hui.
3: I've, I've, I'll stop there for now, but I'm just so pleased to be here with you.
1: So, Senator Razzadiba, um, could you please share with us your story of becoming an advocate for persons with disabilities in your country?
4: Hello, everyone. It's so good to see you, Uh, distinguished guests, uh, Madam Ambassador, Excellency Karina, Admiral, Uh, ladies. I am so stoked and happy to see all of you here today. I know it's a belated celebration, but I am so happy. So before we start, is it okay if I say um, to to ask everybody to just give everyone a big hand? Okay, I am here right in front of you today, Is because of all of you. Um, because of all of you and the things that all of you have done, and each and every day of your life, your sacrifice, your time. Um, I, I am here. Uh, which, which You have to translate for no, Professor oh, she's okay? Okay. So, um, back to me, how I became like this. Um, I was not uh, born disabled. I became disabled halfway through my life. Um, As Her Excellency mentioned just now, um, I actually uh, became disabled after a car accident where I was flung out of the front windscreen of the car and then uh, a brutal uh, attack. Someone wanted to steal my car. Then on, it was very difficult for me because, um, you know, people say what you don't know, you don't care. If you were born um, disabled, you. You just, you know, you, you go through every day, you adjust. But if you, uh, you become um, a disabled halfway through your life, you have to adjust and it was very, very tough for me. Uh, even now, if I want to put on my clothes, I was sharing with friends that it would take me about 15 to 20 minutes to roll around on the bed and, you know, put my sarong and everything. So it's, it's not easy, but you got to do it. So I tell everyone, you know, in life, you just have to uh, get up, dress up, and show up. Because you know what? (laughs) (laughs) Because because no one is going to do anything for you unless you do it yourself. I always tell myself, oh, you know, now that I'm disabled, it's difficult for me to to move around, which was difficult because uh, one thing I just want to share with you in life, we have a lot of acquaintances, but friends, we only have one or two, or maybe for some of us, a handful. Uh, Because when I became disabled, no one came to see me. Yeah, it's like when somebody dies, what can you say except sorry? You know, so I didn't understand that. So from then on, I decided that um, I, I have to go ahead and, and pick up the pieces, um, and I tried to get my job back where I was a news anchor and producer, but uh, the station that I was working with, they were not used to having someone who's disabled, so they thought it was not sexy enough to have an anchor who's on a wheelchair. I mean, can you believe it? So I said, like, OK, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I, feel, I, feel, I feel good, but it's their loss. So um, I, I had to struggle for six years. Um, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that uh, I even had to survive on eating rice with salt and drinking tap water every day. And my parents didn't understand why I didn't tell them, because I didn't want them to worry because I'm the eldest. So every time they say, "Hey, we cook something for you. You know, why don't you come over?" So I'm like, "Yay!" So they thought, like, you know, they they thought that you know their their cooking was really good. <laughs> it was, it is, you know. But it wasn't just that I didn't have the money to eat. So whenever they would cook, I would just go there and smile and and not shedding a single tear because I didn't want them to suffer meaning i didn't want them to see me like that so um i'm here in front of you because one is i believe in the almighty having faith or if some of us don't believe in in the almighty at least we believe in the universe second it's because i have a wicked sense of humor (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I, i keep telling myself i'm still a major babe too bad for those those people and third is because I actually borrowed the spirit of my disabled friends. One day, I went to the TV station where I worked with, and they said, we can't give you to that, you know, for you to go back to that station. Can we give you um, to anchor at another station in our company? I said, sure. And then when I came out from that studio, I told myself, dear God, I looked at the, the logos of all the TV station in that company, I said, I would like to be the CEO of this place. One day, I want to show them that I can still do it. And I don't want anyone to have to suffer like me. And then a few months down the road, I became the country's first female news agency uh, chairman in the history of Bernama, the news agency, in 53 years of its, you know. (laughs) I was like, whoa. And then I was like, okay. I wanted to become a CEO, but you gave me a chairman. Okay, but that's even better. That's okay, you know. And then after that, uh, uh, six months or was it five months down the road, um, you know, His Majesty the King says, "I would like you to become the senator to represent your community." I was like, "Yes."
5: <laughs>
4: so that's why I'm here. Sorry, if you ask me one question, I speak a lot. Sorry.
1: Which is a wonderful segue to my next question. Because the award that you have both received from First Lady Jill Biden and Secretary of State Tony Blinken is called the International Women of Courage Award. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with the audience what courage means to you. And perhaps, Senator, we'll, we'll start with you and then ask Professor Daron. Wow. Actually,
4: I think courage is... its You know, sometimes we feel that we don't have it in us, but if each time we are pushed to the floor or pressed to the floor or pushed to the wall, only you realize that you have that ability in you that you never knew you had or have. You have it in you. Every single woman in this room and the entire universe has that amazing bravery and courage but we don't know we have because, you know, people always say, no, nah, you cannot do that. You're not good enough. You're not, you're not smart enough. And you're like, what? You know, in actual fact, you do. You have it. So courage to me is, is just you. It's within you. Somebody asked me, who inspires you or who, who, who's encouraging you? I said, no one, just myself. Because you know why? I came alone. I'm going to go back alone. And hell, I'm on this earth. I'm just going to live it up. So courage is all, it's in each and every one
1: of us in here. Professor, uh, what about you? What is courage meant to you in your life?
2: Je vous remercie. En ce qui me concerne, le courage c'est... Faire face aux difficultés de la vie, tomber, se relever, reprendre, jusqu'à ce qu'on arrive à atteindre ses objectifs. Et ceci, malgré l'adversité, et souvent dans des conditions difficiles. Voilà pour moi ce que c'est que le courage. Merci.
3: Thank you. For me, courage is doing, is facing difficulties head-on in life, falling down, getting back up, falling down, getting back up, and moving forward until you reach your goal, even though you may have to face adversity. And often, circumstances can be very difficult. For me, that's courage.
1: Um, I'm wondering, um, speaking of the courage that you had to stand up and defend um, the Constitution, what impact? Uh, the courage you had to stand up and defend the constitution against the wishes of your president what impact did that decision have in your country
2: cette décision qu'a prise le président de la république a eu un grand impact dans le pays uh, en fait lorsque Euh, j'étais présidente de la Cour constitutionnelle, nous nous étions fixés deux objectifs. Premièrement, faire connaître la Cour constitutionnelle et faire connaître la Constitution. Parce que euh, très peu de gens, en fait, connaissaient la Constitution. Et lorsque le président m'a relevé dans ces conditions, il y a eu tout un tollé, comme on dit, un tollé général pour de, que ce soit de la part des partis politiques, de la société civile. J'ai reçu euh, des, des encouragements euh, d'un petit peu partout, non seulement de mon pays, mais également d'Afrique. Et parfois même, je me souviens, j'ai reçu aussi des messages du Mexique, ou des Etats-Unis, ou de France, de Belgique, euh, parce que c'est une décision en fait qui a eu un impact non seulement pour la République centrafricaine, mais pour l'Afrique en général. Dire non à un chef d'État euh, qui veut poursuivre, qui veut rester au pouvoir contre les dispositions constitutionnelles, c'est vrai que ce n'est pas souvent que ça arrive. Et je puis vous dire que j'étais assez surprise par tous euh, ces messages que j'ai que j'ai eu, Et j'ai même été désignée par un grand journal qui s'appelle Jeune Afrique comme, euh, comment dire, femme de fer. C'est eux qui m'ont appelée la femme de fer. Et puis aussi comme faisant partie des 30 personnes qui marquent le devenir de l'Afrique. Et ça, pour moi, c'était très important. Pas pour moi, mais pour ce que ça représente pour l'Afrique et pour le développement des droits de l'homme et de la démocratie long
3: So indeed, the president's decision had a huge impact on our country, because actually, when I was at the Constitutional Court, we had two main goals. The first was to w- raise awareness about the Constitutional Court, and the second was to raise awareness about the Constitution, because a lot of people are really unfamiliar with their own Constitution. And so when the president decided to remove me from my position, there was a huge backlash from a lot of different sectors of society. Um, from civil society, from from other partners, and I received messages of encouragement from just about everywhere, and even not just from my own country, but from elsewhere in Africa, and even from other parts of the world. I remember getting messages from Mexico, the US, France, Belgium, um, because that decision impacted not only our own country, but also Africa. And this idea of saying no to a head of state who wants to stay in power, despite the dispositions of the Constitution, is quite unusual. And so I was happily surprised to receive all those messages of support. And even uh, a newspaper called Jeune Afrique uh, gave me that nickname, Iron Woman, and also named me one of the the 30 people building the Africa of tomorrow. And to me, that was really important, but not just for me, but also for Africa, and also for all efforts to develop human rights around the world.
1: Senator, I'm also, yes, (laughs) that was the rules for tonight, clap as often as you want. Uh, But senators, I would love for you also to talk about the impact that you've been able to have uh, in your role as senator and also in your role as a broadcaster and having people watch you on national television. Could you tell us more about
6: that?
4: Okay, I think in um, a lot of uh, parts of the world, many countries, um, a lot of people don't understand about persons with disabilities. In, in in Malaysia, there are seven categories, which is the deaf, uh, speech, impairment, the blind, physical, uh, mental, autism, and then the last one is dan lai, lain, which means others. Others would... Um, the, ma- uh, the people with rare disease would also fall into that category, or people who have double or triple disabilities sometimes. So, um, what I've... Tried and been doing and will keep on doing is one is to create awareness because of my experience being in broadcast. Um, you know, I have the give of the gap, as you can see. Um, so um, it helps because you speak and people are used to you. And um, I literally grew up in front of everyone, in front of the nation, because I, I became the first, uh, the youngest newscaster in the country at 18 years old. So I picked. Um, I, I got all my experiences together, and I said, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to speak on behalf of my friends. I'm going to create awareness. Uh, I'm going to knock on doors and make people understand." Um, you know, um, I give a, an example like uh, the mental category. People don't want to talk about it during the pandemic. You can see more and more people are going through anxiety, depression. You know, they've just they just lost it because you literally lost your job, you know, and you had to adjust, and then you also lost a lot of people do- along the way, you know. So um, I told myself that the thing that I have to do and keep on doing is, one, create awareness, second, make sure that people understand that persons with disabilities have the right, as anyone else, you know, to live, um, you know, to go to school, um, to, to have a, a proper housing, um, you know, in in, in, in the country. And the thing that I just want to share with all of you, I am not the disabled one. The disabled are the people around me, the people who do not want to to understand or the people who just refuse to understand. And the disability is actually the infrastructure, the environment around us. That's the one that's making us disabled. And guess what? Everyone in this room, sooner or later, some of us are lucky, some of us are not we eventually would become um, have a bit of an impairment, we would be disabled someday. So universal design is very important and being there for one another, lifting each other up, picking each other up, you know, lifting our spirits up and knowing that there's always someone there for you Uh, thank you for clapping, <laughs> knowing that someone there is for you, that's very important. Your Excellency, may I ask to, to, to do something? You know, guys, sometimes in life, we don't tell each other that we are special enough. So I just want you to go home, right, today, go to the mirror and say, um, Chairman Sir, is it okay if I ask you to do this as well? I want all of you, all of us to go home, look in the mirror and say, Oh my God, you are so good looking. (laughs) You you know, just say, you are so hot. You are so smart. I mean, look at you. You know. And now I'd like all of you to close your eyes. Okay. Put down whatever's on 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 that you're holding. Just put on your lap. Close your eyes. Okay. I want you to to put your hand and try to hug yourself okay hug yourself (laughs) sir is it okay if i do this yeah yeah hug yourself and just say i love you i love you and i always love you please know that i love love and love
6: you
1: So my next question we are celebrating women, and I'm wondering if you could share with us your experiences in your in your respective countries of being a woman overcoming challenges, showing courage, and how has your how has the status of women or the role of women in you as culturally defined in your societies how has that um, impacted your life trajectory and how have you seen it evolving in your respective countries? And perhaps, Senator, we'll, we'll start with you.
4: Okay, as you all know, um, Malaysia is uh, a, a, an Islamic country. Uh, we have many races and many religion. We celebrate all the, you know, the, uh, the festivities we do. We, we um, sometimes go to churches together or mosques together, you know, to support one another. We respect one another. Uh, being a woman, Um, First, it's not easy to be a woman, second, it's not easy being a disabled woman, it is tough. If you think you guys are going through a tough time, hell, try to be in my shoes. (laughs) I go to parliament, right, and the guys look at me and they're like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, right. And then they sit around and they try to make jokes and everything. And they, you know, just the normal stuff that guys do, right? And I would just sit with them and they go like, "Uh, why are you sitting with us? Uh, We're talking about men's stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm in parliament, right? I'm allowed to listen to whatever you have to say, right? You know? And then after a while they stop. Uh, and and I, would, I would tell them, just like what Emeril was, was saying the other day, wish she was sharing with us, you know, like, um, you wouldn't want your mother to know you're speaking like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And then in, 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 in the upper house, um, the guys, the men, uh, well, in the upper house, there's a lot of chivalry, you know. Um, in the lower house, it's different. Everybody is like, oh, shouting and everything. But the upper house, they, they have that respect towards you. But uh, being in a country, or Asian country, you know, like in Malaysia, um, we don't really talk much, you know, women are always s- are supposed to be behind, man is always supposed to be leading, you know. But during the pandemic, you realise that actually everyone was disabled. Men, women, are dis- you feel that. You feel... Sorry, guys, If I am too short. If you guys need to stand up back there, please go ahead. Um, so, um, um, you know, I, I, I tell everybody, I said, you know, during the pandemic, you realize that everybody is disabled, you know, you then you feel what it's like to be in our shoes as a disabled person, but more so as a woman, you realize that you cannot be that person behind anymore because our spouse became ill, our spouse didn't have a job and lost their job. So this is where you realize that the women, we're a bunch of multitaskers, aren't we? So we just swung into action. And from then on, in our country, they see that you know it's a teamwork. And it's not just, you know, the women have to be behind, they have to keep quiet. Of course, there are still cases where you know the women mm, are always. One, they, they always want us to look like we don't know anything <laughs> You know, like when, when I'm with the guys I, I would just, uh-huh, yeah, right It's like I pretend that I don't know, but actually I know a lot more <laughs> so, so back to your question is um, it's, it's not easy, but if it's too easy, it'll be boring <laughs> So I tell the ladies, wherever you're coming from Back in, in, in Malaysia as well, I say, ladies it's, it's time for us to work as a team, men and women, we rise together. You know, no double standard, no looking down at each other, no saying I am the breadwinner of the family as a man. No, this time around, we have to support one another. It's different now. This generation, this year, is different.
1: So I'm going to ask the professor to answer the same question, and then I will open it up to your questions, which I can tell from all of your faces, you have many, many burning questions. So just as a reminder, uh, put your hand up. One of my colleagues will bring you a microphone. And uh, we really look forward to this portion of the evening where you can have a conversation with our two honorees. So professor, um, what would you like to share about gender equality in the Central African Republic? What, what, what does the role of women in society look like? How is it changing? What are your thoughts?
2: Je vous remercie. Euh, en ce qui concerne le statut de la femme euh, dans mon pays comme malheureusement dans plusieurs pays africains, Elle a un, un rôle secondaire, alors qu'elle fait beaucoup de choses, mais elle a un rôle secondaire du point de vue des mentalités particulièrement. Et même si les textes ont évolué, même si dans la Constitution, il est dit que l'homme est l'égal de la femme, mais dans la réalité, ce n'est pas ce que l'on voit. Il y a réellement une inégalité euh, entre l'homme et la femme dans les rôles, dans la position euh, sociale aussi.
3: So, first of all, thank you. So as far as the status of women in my country goes, unfortunately, and it's the same in many countries in Africa, women often play a secondary role, uh, especially when it comes to people's mindsets. And this, even though laws have developed in a positive way, according to our constitution, men and women are equal. But in reality, that's not what we see. Men and women are not equal in their roles, in their social status.
2: En ce qui me concerne, je pense que j'ai été privilégiée, très sincèrement parce que euh, j'ai pu faire des études. Euh, j'ai bénéficié d'une bourse. Euh, je suis assez, allée assez loin dans mes études supérieures. J'ai été professeur à l'université, donc parmi des enseignants. Euh, je n'ai pas rencontré beaucoup de problèmes. J'ai été... Première, euh, disons, dans plusieurs domaines. Par exemple, j'ai été la première centrafricaine docteur en droit, la première centrafricaine doyenne de la faculté de droit, la première centrafricaine euh, professeure de droit, la première centrafricaine euh, à la cour, présidente de la cour constitutionnelle. Donc, je pense que quelque part, j'ai été quand même privilégiée par rapport à toutes mes sœurs toutes les, les, les femmes centrafricaines qui, pour la, leur grande majorité, rencontrent énormément de difficultés. Comme vous le savez ou vous le savez peut-être pas, mais euh, dans mon pays, il y a des groupes armés. Il y a des groupes armés qui commettent des exactions, particulièrement sur les femmes et sur les enfants, mais particulièrement sur les femmes. Il y a des violences séries, euh, il y a d'autres exactions. Donc, en finalement la grande majorité des femmes, euh, pour elles, les droits de la femme, ça ne veut pas dire grand-chose. C'est tout simplement savoir qu'est-ce que je vais manger aujourd'hui, comment je vais survivre, tout simplement, comment je vais pouvoir passer et, et atteindre demain. Euh, voilà leurs préoccupations. C'est des préoccupations de survie. Et donc, dans ces conditions, euh, il y a juste une petite minorité de femmes qui, à qui on parle des droits de la femme. à qu'on essaye de conscientiser, particulièrement, elle se trouve dans la capitale. Mais ça n'a pas grand sens euh, dans les provinces où il y a beaucoup de troubles, il y a beaucoup d'instabilité, et il y a même les... les maintenant, euh, en plus des groupes armés donc qui viennent pour la plupart euh, des pays voisins, et eh bien, maintenant, nous avons également les mercenaires wagner, qui, euh, soi-disant... De, leur objectif, c'est de sécuriser le pays ou d'aider le président à sécuriser le pays. Mais finalement, qu'est-ce qu'ils ont fait Eh bien, ils ont commis d'énormes exactions sur les populations et particulièrement sur les femmes. Donc voilà un petit peu la situation de la femme en centrafricaine qui reste quand même très difficile.
3: So first of all, I think that I have been quite privileged. And that's true, because I was able to access education, including higher education. I went quite far with my studies. I was also able to become a professor. And with my fellow teachers, I actually have not had uh, too many problems. And I was the first in lots of different fields. For example, I was the first female doctor of law in my country. I was the first dean of the law department in my country. I was the first law professor in my country. I was the first head of the constitutional court in my country. So I think that I have been quite privileged compared to many other women uh, from Central African Republic, um, most of whom have to face some extraordinary difficulties. As you may know or you may not know, there we have the presence of armed groups in Central African Republic who commit abuses against the whole population, but especially against women and children, and even more especially against women. We have problems of serial rape and other abuses. Um, and so for most women, The concept of rights is not even something that they talk about. They're more concerned with where their next meal is coming from, how they're going to survive, how they're going to live until tomorrow. For them, most things are just a question of survival. There's just a small minority of women who talk about rights, and most of them live in the capital city. But for most women living in the outer provinces, with all of the instability that there is, it's very abstract. And because um, there are these armed groups, most of whom come from neighboring countries, uh, we're facing these difficulties, and in addition, we now have the presence of Wagner mercenaries, who initial, whose goal initially was to provide security for the country with the support of the president, but in the process are also committing abuses against the population and especially against women. So those are the problems that we're facing with regard to the status of women in our country.
1: Could I please have a round of applause for this conversation?
0: we will now begin the Q&A, so if you could please raise your hand, I'll bring the microphone to you so your question can be recorded for the podcast. I'm going to move over here,
3: so I'm not in anybody's way. Hi, thank you so much. Um, It's been
1: an immense pleasure. Um, So... As a woman, there are uh, a lot of things that society often, um, things about us like p- pushing for peace, empathy, um, that society deems are ours and not always like men's and doesn't always reflect courage. And so I often find myself adjusting who I am as a leader to try to fit a mold, um, to be courageous, and so, my question is, what advice do you have for women who try to adjust themselves to fit this mold? Or what advice do you have for us to stop doing that?
2: <laughs> Thank you.
4: question First and foremost, you gotta tell yourself that you are amazing. And you have to love yourself. If you, if you don't do that, you are not going to be able to make changes. And the way to do it is actually to go in with the eye of the tiger. And every time when you face a hurdle, you work around it. I always tell people, you know, shouting, making noise, you can do so much, but you cannot be doing that all the time. You have to use diplomacy. Uh, whether you like it or not, there must you must talk. You must uh, you know sit them down, you know, and and discuss. I know it's not easy because in some countries we're not even allowed to have our voices heard. Our friends in Afghanistan, in Iran, our friends even in India, everywhere, even in in Professor's country as well. But you know what? We have to keep at it because if we don't, the next generation of the younger girls will say. Why didn't you guys fight, fight for us? Why did you guys just keep quiet? Why? So in order for us to make change, we have to be brave. But we cannot be angry all the time. We can't. We have to strategize. We have to sit down. Every time you get angry, you, have, you just walk around or you sit down, have a drink, just breathe in, ex- inhale, exhale, because it's so not worth it. You know, um, so the best thing is for, uh, for for you to do is just first love yourself, know the matter, sit down, and be diplomatic. But the most important thing is do not allow people to step on our head. Doesn't work that way. We need to stand up for ourselves. All of us, LGBTQIA, all of us, women, we need to do that. This universe, this world, is ours. No one's going
2: to take that away from us. Je voudrais compléter ce qui a été dit. Uh, y a la première dame, lorsqu'elle nous a reçus, elle a dit quelque chose de très important, avec lequel je suis tout à fait d'accord. C'est que nous devons faire appel aux hommes parce que s'ils changent, notre situation va changer. Donc, euh, le combat des femmes, je trouve, c'est le, com- le combat et des hommes et des femmes. Et au niveau de la Cour constitutionnelle, par exemple, euh, chaque fois qu'il y avait une réunion pour les droits de la femme ou une conférence qui était donnée pour la promotion de la femme... Je n'allais pas j'envoyais toujours le vice-président qui était un homme. Il est devenu le plus grand défenseur des droits de la femme au sein de la Cour constitutionnelle. Je remercie.
3: So I'll just add on to what my colleague has said. When the first lady of the United States gave us this award, she said something very important that I agree with. She said that we must call upon men in this fight. If men change, then the situation will change. In fact, women's struggles are men and women's struggles. And in the Constitutional Court, each time we had uh, meetings or conferences about women's rights, I always made sure to send, rather than me, the the Vice Chief Justice, who was a man, to these conferences. (laughs) And so he actually became the greatest advocate for women's rights on the court.
5: (laughs) I'll make my comments in French. As an African, I am very humble d'avoir un exemple comme vous, parce que dans notre continent, on le connaît, il y a beaucoup de problématiques par rapport au respect des droits. Euh, et je pense que c'est un symbole qui est très important par rapport à comment est-ce que ben, les générations futures peuvent avoir un rôle modèle pour pouvoir voir comment elles peuvent euh, pouvoir se comporter. Déjà, donc merci beaucoup pour votre sincérité et votre humilité, parce que c'est ça se ressent à travers toutes les langues. Alors, ma question est très simple. Le jour où vous avez été destitué, Quelle a été votre première réaction Et est-ce que vous avez senti que vous l'avez mentionné que situation privilège Est-ce que votre situation de privilège vous a protégé avec euh, toutes les considérations de la chose par rapport à, à votre situation physique ou autre Et merci encore.
3: So interpret the question first. So first of all, as a Moroccan, I'm just so happy to see you here. You really are a role model, especially when we think about Africa and the various issues it faces with respect to people's rights. So I think that this is an important symbol for future generations who are looking for a role model. So thank you. And uh, thank you for your sincerity and humility. We really feel it, I think, here in this room. So my question is quite simple. The day when you were removed from your position, what was your first reaction? And did you feel like your quote unquote privilege may have protected you in some way, in terms of your physical safety or in terms of anything else?
2: Je remercie. En fait, la situation était assez tendue. Euh, je savais que nous avions rendu une décision qui ne lui plaisait pas, mais je ne m'attendais quand même pas à ce qu'il me relève. Donc, euh, je, je m'attendais a peut-être à, à des, des mouvements de mécontentement, mais pas jusqu'à ce que je sois relevée, parce que c'était tout à fait inconstitutionnel. Mais le jour où j'ai été relevée, j'étais, j'étais à la cour et j'étais en train de travailler Et puis tout d'un coup quelqu'un me dit il y a un décret qui est en train de te relever là tu n'es plus présidente de la Cour constitutionnelle. Ça s'est passé comme ça
3: <laughs> So so thank you. Um, the situation really was very tense. Uh, I knew that the decision that I was making that we were making would not be satisfactory to the president, but I did not expect to be removed. Uh, I knew that there would be, I knew that he would not be happy, but the removal was a surprise because it was illegal, according to the Constitution. That day, as it happens, I was at work, I was at the Constitutional Court, and just like that, somebody s- said to me, oh, a decree has just been handed down and you're lo- no longer Chief Justice.
2: Donc, à partir de ce moment-là, euh, il y a eu, comme je vous ai dit, beaucoup de réactions. Et en fait, je crois qu'il n'a pas mesuré l'impact salait à la voir sur lui-même parce que du fait qu'il m'est enlevé il est devenu illégitime parce qu'il a violé la Constitution
3: and I think at that point there were a lot of reactions immediately following the removal and I think that even the president didn't take the measure of how much this would impact him because as soon as he did that he became illegitimate in the eyes of a lot of people
2: et j'ai eu euh, beaucoup de radios qui ont commencé à me contacter pour que je fasse des déclarations Et tout le monde disait, mais il faut retourner à la cour constitutionnelle, tu as été enlevé illégitimement. Et j'ai commencé par dire, je ne, veux, je ne retournerai pas à la cour constitutionnelle. Pourquoi est-ce que j'ai dit cela Parce qu'il y en a qui n'ont pas compris. Ben, tout simplement parce que je savais que ne retournant pas, il était dans l'illégitimité. Si je retournais je lui remettais le tapis rouge sous les pieds. Donc, j'ai dit, je ne retourne pas à la Cour constitutionnelle. Par contre, euh, c'est sûr que j'avais des problèmes de sécurité, mais heureusement que je suis protégée 24 heures sur 24 par les, les casques bleus des Nations Unies. Donc, de ce côté-là, ça m'a donné quand même une certaine sécurité, une certaine quiétude euh, pour pouvoir... Euh, Mais disons que je suis un petit peu chez moi en prison parce que je ne sors pas beaucoup. Euh, il y a de réels problèmes de sécurité. Mais je pense que maintenant, il y a une instabilité totale qui s'est installée du fait de la décision qu'il a prise. Et en plus, euh, il a appris l'ambassadrice des États-Unis euh, à Bangui Donc, euh, dans la capitale, est allé le voir euh, la veille de mon départ pour lui dire que le département d'État et la First Lady m'octroyaient un prix pour le courage que j'avais eu de lui dire non. <laughs> Alors, je ne sais pas si ça lui a fait très plaisir, mais toujours est-il qu'il m'a laissé sortir.
3: So, um, so sorry. <laughs> So I, uh, a lot of radio stations started contacting me immediately to try to get me to make some statements about what had happened. Um, and people, a lot of people said to me, you have to go back. You have to find a way to get back to the constitutional court. But I said I will not. And that is because, in a way, if I went back to the constitutional court, it would kind of hand the president back his legitimacy. If I stayed out of the constitutional court, it would continue to shine a light on his illegitimacy, but if I went back, I felt like I would be rolling out the red carpet for him. Um, I did have some concerns about security, but luckily I've had 24-7 security provided by the UN blue helmets. So I felt somewhat safe, somewhat calm about that, even though I was in a way a prisoner in my own home because I couldn't really go out. Um, But now I think that what we're seeing is a total instability because of the decision that the president has made. And even the US ambassador, right after the president made that decision, went to go meet with our president and let him know that the Department of State and the First Lady of the United States would be giving me this award. So that was <laughs> quite a satisfying moment, but I was just grateful to be able to, to leave to, and, and receive it.
2: Hello. Good evening. Thank you so much for coming um i just have a question um pretty much during the pandemic many women um due to gender equality had to leave the workforce because they didn't have adequate uh, uh, daycare for their uh for their children or daycare for or daycare for their elderly
3: parents or many things and i guess my question for you is what advice
2: do you give women who are trying to go out and conquer the world be the Iron Woman out in the world and also have to go home and be the Iron Woman at home as well and still keep her sanity and still operate at a high level on both at home and in the world.
4: <laughs> you know that we're actually Wonder Woman, right? <laughs> we're, we're not wearing the corset all the time. You know, but and we don't have the lasso with us all the time, but that's actually what we are. Um, Back to what I uh, mentioned much earlier was uh, we need to sit down and plan out what we want to do. If the situation around us, like, you know, it's difficult for us to juggle, no one's going to look after our kids and stuff, so that we do the, you know, we we try to find means and ways to do it because otherwise um, we will not be able to give our children the, the life that we'd like them to have. Um, being married, having 15 kids like one of my friend has, I don't know how she does it, you know? Um, yeah, so, and I'm like, uh, you, I'm like, babe, you do what you have to do. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, 15 kids is a lot of kids. I said, you know, um, but you have to remember one thing, doing things for others is one but you must also sit down and think, what is it that you've done for yourself? So however hard the situation is, find means and ways. You know, you, you've, you've, you hear stories of women working in the market, getting up at three in the morning, you know, going, uh, going to the market, buying things, preparing it, making breakfast for the kids, you know, and then getting the kids ready, um, you know, sometimes even bring the kids to the market. You do what you have to do. Do not ever, ever give up because that's not what we're all about. No, we're not about that. As women, I told you, right, we're like spider Woman. Our hands, we're like cobwebs. (laughs) It's mind over matter. Easier said than done, but it can be done. The word impossible does not exist. It only exists because we don't want to change. It exists because we are so used to second guess ourselves. Don't do that. We just got to pick up the pieces and strategize.
1: So first, thank you so much for coming. It's so truly incredible to be here and being able to hear you two speak. Um, My question is, going back, what advice would you give to yourselves who were in a more tough position a couple of years back? Or would you go back and change anything um, from where you are today?
2: Je crois que ma réponse sera courte. Je n'aurais rien changé. J'aurais refait exactement ce que j'ai fait parce que je l'ai fait en fonction de mon caractère, en fonction de ma personnalité et en fonction du contexte dans lequel je vivais. Donc, je ne changerai rien.
3: Uh, I think my answer will be quite short. I would not change anything. I would do things exactly the way I did them because the way I did things was based on my character, my personality, and also the context that surrounded me. So no, I wouldn't change anything.
4: Mm. If there is one thing um, I could change was um, not expecting people to be there for me. I think what happened was when I when I was lying in bed, looking at the ceiling, at the four walls, and trying to figure out how to use the diapers, trying to figure out how to use the catheter, you know, trying to figure out how to live, um, one of the things that I, I, I did was wallow in self-pity. You know, I was crying a lot um, because I, you know, I could, I felt, why is it? I didn't understand why people abandoned me. I mean, I didn't know that I was going to be a paraplegic. I didn't. I mean, who would know? I didn't. I was crying every day. And each time I would say, dear God, please bring me home. Please bring me home. Please bring me home. I do not know how to live like this every day. And each time I would cry and cry and cry and go to sleep. And I would wake up. And I feel like God had put a blanket on top of me to say, hey kid, it's okay. It's a process you have to go through. You know, it's, you, you, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. So I, um, like every other human being, I was just telling myself, but why did my friends leave me? Why? And you know, I was seeing somebody, why did that person leave me? Because I'm disabled? I mean am I less of myself just because I can't walk you know so I was hoping that you know people would come back but you know what they didn't have to come back because if they came back I wouldn't be what I am today <laughs> I wouldn't be right in front of you I wouldn't be in the, at the White House because of the tears and the feeling of being left behind, because I went and, and I, which I actually went through, because of all that, it made me stronger and stronger and stronger. So, yeah, I wish I, I didn't hope for people who left me because, in actual fact, it's their loss. I mean, who goes to the White House? <laughs> right? I mean, who comes to 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 Cleveland, Ohio, and see the snow? <laughs> Come on! <laughs> this will be. You, you, you have a
3: question, right?
2: Je vous remercie. Comment autonomiser les femmes? Bon, en ce qui concerne, je ne peux parler en fait que uh, de mon pays et. Um, Peut-être, ça correspond aussi à des situations dans certains pays euh, d'Afrique. Euh, cette autonomisation des femmes, on, le, on, on sent ce besoin dans tous les domaines, dans tous les domaines. Et la seule possibilité, vu le fait que euh, l'État souvent n'a pas beaucoup de moyens, la seule possibilité, il me semble c'est d'avoir un appui extérieur euh, au niveau de la sensibilisation, au niveau de l'apport des moyens d'aider les femmes elles-mêmes à s'organiser pour leur propre autonomisation. Donc je pense qu'il y a là une coopération euh, absolument à instaurer. L'État seul ne peut pas. Et il y a une deuxième euh, condition, je pense, qui, pour moi, est indispensable. La seule façon de parvenir à une autonomisation des femmes, il faut qu'il y ait la volonté politique des dirigeants de le faire. Parce que sans cette volonté politique, il ne pousse pas et il y a beaucoup de choses qui ne se font pas. Si le, si le président de la République ne met pas tout son poids, ça n'avancera pas. Si le gouvernement ne met pas tout son poids, ça n'avancera pas. Donc, il faut une conjonction entre l'effort des femmes, des associations féminines, etc., l'effort de la communauté internationale qui peut appuyer euh, cette, euh, cette transformation et tout cela coiffé par la volonté politique réelle des dirigeants d'aller dans ce sens-là. En tout cas, c'est...
3: Thank you. So yeah, how can can we empower women? I can only really speak for my own country, although it may be applicable to other countries in Africa as well. I think this need to empower women can be felt in all areas. And I think there's only one way to proceed, because often the government does not have enough resources to react to this issue. So what we really need is outside support, whether that that be in terms of raising awareness or providing resources to allow women to collaborate amongst themselves and, and become empowered. And that cooperation is what's really necessary. The government cannot do it alone. And I think the second thing that we really need, and again, this is the only way to do it, is to have true political will from our leaders. Because if the political will is not there, if leaders do not push, then we will not move forward. If the head of state does not lend his entire weight to any effort to empower women, we will not advance. So we need this kind of multifaceted collaboration between, yes, women's groups. Um, the international community who can support that transformation and true political will on the part of our leaders.
0: Thank you.
6: This
7: will be our final question. Uh, Senator Datuk, uh, Professor Darlin, thank you so much. This has been such an inspiring month of March, and to have you both here. Most importantly, I see a lot of young people. I see a lot of daughters who've come with their mothers or fathers, a lot of young students. So this is a great, inspiring uh, session for them. Uh, First, I have a little bit of comment on the empowerment. So we have about at least 3.5 billion women, or 4 billion women, uh, and I think from a grassroots level, um, empowerment starts right from safety, nutrition, healthcare, Education, and most importantly, equal pay. So, uh, in jest, I would say as our girls are entering the workforce, let's challenge the world to give them 10% more than every male, and let's see how far we can take the world. So but just you know this is not just joking this is something to be tried let's give each of these women 10 percent more than their male counterparts and see how far they can evolve the world i truly feel this could be like a pilot project um in terms of my question such an amazing journey both from a career part as well as your personal stories uh, if you could shed light both of you even if it's a one-liner on the power of purpose and how courage comes into it that would be great. What was the big purpose which stemmed the courage in both of you to say hell with what the world says? I'm going to do what's right for my country, my people.
2: Il faut dire que ma seule motivation um, dans tout ce que j'ai fait, ça a toujours été le droit, le droit et rien que le droit. Donc, le respect de la loi. Je pense que euh, si nous respections un petit peu plus la loi, en tout cas, je parle encore une fois de mon, dans mon pays, il y a beaucoup de textes, de très beaux textes, mais ils ne sont pas appliqués. Donc, à partir de ce moment-là, il faut respecter la loi. Et aussi, la justice. La justice, me semble, est au cœur de la démocratie. S'il n'y a pas de justice, s'il y a des dysfonctionnements au niveau de la justice, il y aura des mécontentements dans la société, des discriminations, des injustices qui vont entraîner la violence, et etc. En tout cas, c'est ce que nous connaissons, nous. Donc, la justice et le droit, il me semble que c'est au cœur du problème et c'est pour cela que je me suis battue et que ça a été pratiquement ma seule motivation, me battre pour que la loi soit respectée.
3: So I will say that I think that my sole purpose has always been law, law and nothing but law, and especially the idea of upholding the law. I think that we need to focus more on upholding the law, and again, I'm only speaking for my country's context, but what I can say in my country is that we have some wonderful laws on the books, but they're not always enforced, so we need to make sure that they're being upheld. And I think that this issue of justice goes right to the heart of democracy. If you have a justice system that is not functioning, that leads to dissatisfaction, it leads to discrimination, and that ultimately, as we know, leads to violence. And that is why I think justice and the law must be at the heart of everything we do, and that basically has been my main purpose, and that is why I have fought um, for what I have fought for.
4: Well, you know, when I became disabled, I, like I said, it wasn't very easy. I didn't know what I was supposed to do in my life. You know, I was so used to being able to run and ride my Harley and jump from ten thousand feet doing free falls. Um, then I sat myself down after crying like I don't know what. <laughs> I told myself there must be a reason why I'm like this. And then I I met some of uh, my disabled friends. And then I realized that this is it. It took me some time to realize. It's really funny. I mean, each of us have different, different journeys in our lives good, bad, wonderful, not so wonderful. Um, but when I set myself down, um, you know, after trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing in my life, and then I saw how my friends suffer, you know, um, discrimination, you know, biasness, the stigma. Uh, then on, I realized that my, pers- my purpose is to become the voice. And um, the most important thing actually is to, for us to respect one another, understand that each and every one of us are different, um, you know, understand uh, that it's okay not to be okay. Uh, and the most important thing is that empathy, and, and realize that we are, you know, are citizens of the world girls, boys, you know. um, And I keep on reminding myself and other people, each and every one of us, we have our own stories. We go home, sometimes we have problems with our spouses, wives, husbands, and partners. Yeah, Uh, We go through that struggle sometimes on our own. People don't know we're smiling outside. I know, I know you guys. We're smiling outside. But people don't know, we're putting a front. You know what's that front for? It's for our daughters. It's for our girls. It's for every woman out there. If we... You know, there is, in Malay, the language that we speak back home, um, air mata... Sorry, you can't translate that, right? (laughs) It says, um, air mata yang seharusnya jatuh ke pipi, akhirnya which means the tears that were supposed to flow right on our cheeks has flowed right back into our hearts. So what I'm trying to say is we, whatever we're going through in our lives, we have to remember, each step that we make is not for us. It's for our daughters. It's for the other women out there. And it's for the next generation of women to come. Each and every one of us in this room, including the men who will be supporting us. Right, gentlemen? (laughs) Yes, sir? Yes, yes. (laughs) Each and every one of us have a purpose. Today, this moment, right now, it's all being planned and written out in our books of life that we are going to come together and we're going to use our strength to rise and lift each other up. I hope I've answered your question.
6: As Karina said at the beginning, uh, I'm going to be giving the closing remarks. Carter Strang, honor and privilege to be here tonight, and to serve as the chair of the Cleveland Council World Affairs. What an amazing program! Absolutely inspiring. Thank you. What a turnout. Uh, I am a trial attorney. Great to see uh, another awardee, uh, a woman of courage, who's done so much for her country, uh, particularly in trying to uphold uh, the rule of law. Um, It's hard enough in this country, and I'm sure it's much more difficult (laughs) in others. But thank you. Uh, As a trial attorney, uh, I'm seldom at a loss for words, and I'm pretty close to that tonight. But I'll try to do the best I can. Professor uh, Darlan and uh, Senator uh, Andy Ba, I, I really want to, on behalf of the Cleveland Council World Affairs uh, Board of Trustees, thank you for coming here tonight and sharing your incredible, really incredible stories of courage, strength, and leadership. You're an inspiration to all of us here and, really an inspiration to everybody in the world. Uh, I'm going to finish by uh, asking all of you to take a look at your program. Uh, If you enjoyed tonight's program, which I did and I know you did as well, uh, you can see on the very back additional programs we would love to see you all attend, including a number surrounding our centennial event, which was mentioned earlier. so I want to thank you very much and have a good night.
1: Um, if, if, yes, and if I could also include in the applauses the amazing translation team.
2: <laughs> <Et> aussi, Madame. <laughs> qui a très, très bien modulé.
1: Um, And with that, we would love to memorialize this moment, and we would like to invite all of you to follow my colleagues. We will be going outside. We will let the senator um, be escorted out first, and we'll follow her. And we will all gather around the staircase and take a group photo so that our honorees have a memory of all of us in sharing in their stories and believing in their strength and wanting to lift them up Um, And so we can have that in a photo for this evening. So please, uh, we'll follow this way. Thank you.